You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. So the title of my talk today is, What is Religion? And I want to flush out, not necessarily answer that question, that's really an, an, an unanswerable question. Um, but I want to address it and explore it with you this morning. Um, I think uh, we want to more specifically address questions like, where does religion come from? Why are we religious as a species? Why are we religious and spiritual creatures? Because we are, and we have been so since our inception, right, 300,000 years ago. When Homo sapiens arrived on the scene, we know that they were religious and spiritual. In fact, our hominid ancestors, like Homo erectus, they too exhibited spiritual and religious qualities. Why? What's going on there? Why are we religious? I have a friend who uh, is a religion scholar and likes to say, in order to understand the truth of the human condition, one must become a student of the sacred. I love that. In order to truly understand the human condition, one must become a student of the sacred. By exploring and attempting to understand better what is religion and why are we religious, we're not just hopefully obtaining a better understanding of what religion is, but we're hopefully obtaining a better understanding of ourselves as individuals and collectively as you know, society and, and culture. I realize the term religion comes with a lot of negative connotations for us. It is a loaded term. And in a lot of ways, I think it's a negative term for a lot of us, right? This is why we hear so many people say today, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, right? Or, which by the way is a very religious thing to say, actually. <laughs> I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. But uh, other, you hear other people say, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Anybody ever say that before? So a few of you are guilty. I've certainly said it before. It's been a while since I've said that. Christianity isn't religion. It's a relationship. Uh, and it's understandable why people say that, right? It's, it's a reaction against the kind of ritualistic, hollow, sometimes irrelevant way that religion can be practiced as just something I do on Sunday mornings that really doesn't pertain to the rest of my life. And I think we can understand why somebody might react against that. And so when I hear people say I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, or Christianity for me is not a religion, it's a relationship. I take that to mean that for that person, um, my mic completely cuts out. Max, could you help me out? Thank you. <laughs> we're, just gonna con we're just gonna start using this every week. <laughs> I think I'm done with the experimental process of this. Yeah. Thank you, sir. All right, let's reconvene. Finish your sentences. Um, and I want to hear from you now. Anybody want to offer up their definition of religion or faith or spirituality, however you like to put it? Anybody want to be so brave as to just raise their hand and share that with the rest of us? Yes, Andrew, please. Yeah, just go ahead and shout it out. It's fine. A way of simplifying decisions. That's interesting. Ah. I see. Yeah, a way. 
got it. A way of setting up binaries, good food, bad food, good people, bad people. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, cool. Any, anybody else? These are interesting definitions. I, I hope my, my goal in providing this little exercise here at the top is that I want you to see that, of course, there isn't one definition. In fact, there is not one correct, one single definition of what a religion is. I was listening to a podcast this week featuring a religion scholar who said that he's encountered 170 <laughs> different definitions of religion. And this is because religion has always filled a variety of needs for us, right? It's always functioned in a variety of different ways in our cultures and our societies. Religion provides community, provides identity, right? A sense of tribal identity. It provides moral values, like right and wrong. It defines good and evil, in-groups and out-groups, right? It provides a kind of social or, or political order. We're all familiar how Political religion can be sometimes. Um, it functions as a coping mechanism. Religion can function as a coping mechanism, something that gives us hope in the face of despair and, and unknowing. It, religion is something that provides meaning, defines meaning, it defines purpose, right? So religion is as complex as we are, and that's part of what I want us to realize today and, and appreciate, because I think, I think there, are, there are some some biases against religion out there. Um, and I think one of the most common biases you hear against religion today is specifically coming from guys like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and the late Chris Hitchens, kind of the new atheist movement, is that religion is nothing more than bad science. Re religion is pseudoscience, pre-science. It's, it's essentially the science of the pre-modern world. And therefore, religion is going to be, you know, it's doomed for the trash heap of history. It's it's going to be outdated and, well, it's already outdated, they would say, but it's going to be made ab obsolete in the same way that computers made typewriters obsolete and you know, cars made horse and buggies obsolete. So religion or science is going to essentially eradicate religion and it's going to be nothing more than just, you know, it's outdated science. It's bad science. Have you heard that critique before of, against religion? I certainly have. Uh, but here we are. 400 years into the scientific age, the so-called age of enlightenment, and you know, science is yet to destroy religion. In fact, in a lot of ways, religion's alive and well in the world. Uh, and, and if anything, science has in many ways bolstered the mystery, you know, the sense of awe and wonder that religion so often thrives on. And so we need to be very critical, I think, of this popular critique of religion today that says religion is nothing more than bad science and pseudoscience and doomed for the trash heap of history accordingly. That, that being said, I think many religions did develop. I think they did develop as a way of making sense out of the world and explaining natural phenomena. Religion in some ways developed, I think, as a sense-making apparatus, a way of describing the cosmos or try, trying to understand the processes around us, right? But to equate that to science and to say or to claim that the ancients perceived what they were doing as a kind of science, I think this is to anachronistically impose ideas and categories of thought upon the ancients that they just didn't possess. So religion is not a kind of pre-science. And the view that it is, I think, is based on a very narrow, a very modern a very European, very Western kind of framework. Uh, even the concept of religion, putting religion in scare quotes here, even the, even the concept of religion is a relatively new idea, this, this way of thinking that some things are religious and some things aren't. 
Some things are secular and some, some things are sacred. This way of dividing up the world is, is a relatively new and a relatively modern and Western and European framework. Uh, and, and is in some ways overly reductionistic and overly materialistic. And by materialistic, I mean materialists uh, would, would claim that there's nothing real but matter. There is an only matter. That is all that is real. And science is the, is the only the, the only uh, arbiter of truth. And yet we can understand where a lot of this sentiment is coming from, right? Religious fundamentalism. Many of us grew up in a kind of religious fundamentalism, and it often poses as science, does it not? I was told to read Genesis 1 as, like, that Genesis 1 is describing biologically, you know, it's, it's biology, it's chemistry, it's physics. <laughs> we, were to, we were told to read Genesis 1 like a science textbook, as if the ancients set out to, you know, describe the world scientifically. Um, religious fundamentalism absolutely has attacked science and attempted to usurp or supplant science. Are you familiar with the Ark Encounter in Kentucky in the Creation Museum, right? right? So it's understandable a lot of people would react to religion with, with the way they have. It's completely understandable because many times religion, religious fundamentalism, uh, attacks science and likes to pose as science. But religion is not science. It's not. And they're not really in competition with each other in my accounting of things. I think another common misunderstanding of religion is that it, that it prim primarily developed as a crutch. Have you heard this before? That religion is simply a coping mechanism. It's a crutch. It's, uh, it, it's a psychological relief. Help, help us get over our, you know, cope with our fear of death. Religion developed, we're told, as, you know, an opiate for the masses, to put it in Marxist terms. It's simply a crutch, a, something that human beings came up with because of where we all experience this innate fear of death, this idea that one day we're going to cease to exist. And so the religions developed as a way of numbing ourselves to this truth. And this, this too contains maybe a kernel of truth, but is ultimately a kind of just, just totally incorrect way, I think, of looking at religion and how it developed and why it developed. Um, if you read, you know, for, consider that not all religions even have a concept of the afterlife. If you read the Old Testament, which is actually most of the Bible, you will not find a concept of the afterlife in the Old Testament. And I think that surprises a lot of Christians. The ancient Hebrews did not have a concept of the afterlife. They didn't, they didn't believe that when you died, you, 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 you were saved if you were a Jew and you went to heaven when you died and lived forever with God. They didn't believe that. You, you won't find that teaching anywhere in the Old Testament. No mention of hell. There was mention of the heavens, but by the heavens they meant the abode of God or the firmament above, it's kind of abstract. There wasn't this idea that when you died, you went to heaven and, and lived in mansions on high with the Lord for the rest of eternity. They didn't have a concept of eternal life, the ancient Hebrews. You will not find this anywhere in the Old Testament. The, the, the Hebrews understood their religion as being about the covenant and, and the law of Moses, and that they as a people, as a nation, were called into this relationship, this covenant, this contract with Yahweh, and the religion was about fulfilling the requirements of the law and being God's people on earth. It was an earthly religion. It was about here and now, living as God's people, as a holy nation before the Lord and to, and to keep the law. That was how they understood it. 
These ideas of, of heaven and hell and the afterlife and eternal life, these ideas came later on, probably around the uh, third or fourth century BC with Zoroastrianism and Greco-Roman thought. And of course, we find these ideas popping up in the first century with, with the inception of Christianity. Certain strands of Buddhism and Hinduism also do not have any concept of the afterlife. Certain strands of Buddhism and Hinduism describe nirvana not as a, as a place in the afterlife, but nirvana is here and now. It's a state of enlightenment one can achieve, right? So many, many religions, many religions do not have a concept of the afterlife. They did not develop as a kind of, you know, way of coping with death as saying, look, you're going to live forever with, with, you know, the Lord on high or something like that. No. And yet I think one can make the case that many religions developed at least in part to help us cope with suffering and to find meaning and purpose and, and peace. I think one could make the case that philosophy developed for a lot of the same reasons religion did. It was a meaning-making system. It was a way of trying to understand how then shall I live in light of the world as it actually is and the human condition, how then shall we live? Philosophy and religion, I think, developed a lot of the same, in a lot of the same ways to meet the same needs. as meaning-making apparatus a way of, of coping with the human condition, trying to figure out what it means to be human, what does it mean to live and to live well. You know, a lot of ways, religion and philosophy are bedfellows in the ancient world, and still are. Um, often the boundaries between what is theological and what is philosophical in religion are, are entirely blurred because religion is really a kind of philosophy. And religion and philosophy, again, you know, developed alongside each other to meet the same needs. And yet I think the foundations of religion run much deeper than that. One of my favorite definitions of religion is that it's a search for the sacred. You know, without putting too, too, making too much of a claim that this is what religion is, I tend to believe that the best things about religion, the, the best religion maybe, is this idea that it's a search for the sacred. Paul Tillich, a great 20th century Christian philosopher and theologian, put it this way. He said that religion, faith, however you define that, um, whatever you want to call it, in other words, religion or faith, is, it's about ultimate concern. Wh whatever is of ultimate concern for you in life, this is, this is what you hold sacred. This is your religion. This is your faith. He would say that religion is about whatever you affirm unconditionally in life. Whatever you affirm without question, without why, without condition, as meaningful, good, beautiful, and true, whatever you affirm at, at that depth as, as unconditionally meaningful, good, and true, like the love a parent has for their child, love itself, justice, this is what you hold most sacred. This is your religion. This is your faith, so-called. I, th I think that's actually a really good um, definition of religion. I like to think of religion as being a lot like art. Who can define what art is, right? It's, it's abstract, but yet it's tangible. I think the same things that stimulate the creation of art and that draw us to art as a species, I, I think religion shares a lot of the same things that, that stimulate the creation of art. I think, I think the same things that stimulate the creation of art are the same things that stimulate the creation of religion and that draw us to religion. Let's think about art for a minute. I, I think of art as being an attempt to express the ineffable qualities. Ineffable meaning we don't have a vocabulary for it. The, these, the esoteric ineffable qualities of what it means to be human. 
the depth dimension of what it means to be human. You know, art is, is an attempt to give voice to what we don't have a vocabulary for, right? Like the experience of falling in love, the experience of being overcome by the beauty of nature, the experience of sorrow and fear, hate, love, joy, gratitude, all of these, these, these deep aspects of our inner life, right? Art is an attempt to give voice to that in painting, in sculpture, in music, in theater, in literature, in poetry, right? Art reflects the mysterious need within us, this mysterious need within us to create beauty, to create meaning, to, to celebrate life. We don't really know where this comes from. Where does art come from? Why, why are we artistic as a species? We don't really know. Philosophers and theologians end up assigning the word, the event, to this, that art rises out of this thing called the event, which is really just an abstract term for these ineffable qualities of the human condition. This, but, it's, but it's the same event, the same fire within us, I think, that drives us to create, create art, that drives us, I think, to create religion and forms of spirituality. Perhaps it's this event that is the spark of the divine within us, the imago Dei, which is Latin for the image of God. I like that. I don't know, but I, I like that. I think that helps. And I think all of this is tied into consciousness because we don't really understand what consciousness is, do we? You know, this subjective inner life we all have where we, we are self-aware. I think we all experience, regardless of culture, time, and place, I think we all experience this sense of astonishment, the astonishment of consciousness. And whether it's meaningful or not, I think we experience it as meaningful. The sense of being, the sense of being here now, alive and self-aware, and experiencing life in the world in the ways that we do, I think we experience that as transcendent. I think we experience it as meaning, utterly meaningful. Regardless of who we are, what culture, time, or place we live in, I think we experience consciousness as utterly meaningful and transcendent. And I think ultimately religion, like art, is, is a response to that. Things that we construct in order to respond and pay homage to this event of being, the astonishment of being. Art and religion, I think, are, are ways of paying homage to that, celebrating it, meditating on it, giving it, being in our world. But it's this, it's this event, it's this fire within us that makes life meaningful. However you encounter the event, however you curate it in your life, this is what gives life its luster. Maybe it's you know, by playing music or acting or through meditation and prayer, you know, participating in a religion or through volunteering or it's spending time with friends and family. However you curate the event is what makes life meaningful. What I'm saying is we all attend the church of the event. We all worship, whether we know it or not, the God of the event. We all, we're all believers in, the, in the, uh, the religion of the event, you could say. Pete Rollins, I think, has a really good illustration for, for what this looks like. Imagine somebody who is a total nihilist, a total uh, materialist. This means somebody who believes that there's nothing real but matter, and therefore, life in the universe is totally meaningless. We're all here just by happenstance. You know, uh, no, nothing, you know no, nothing matters because everything is just matter. 
if that's basically like the ultimate sort of nihilist, materialist point of view. I would argue that that person cannot help but experience life as totally meaningful if they truly love something or someone. Likewise, imagine someone who claims to believe in God and believes that everything was made for a purpose. I would argue that person cannot help but experience life as utterly meaningless if they don't love anything or anyone. It is love, therefore. It is the event, therefore, that makes life truly meaningful, regardless of your religious beliefs or lack thereof. We all attend the church of the event. We all worship, you could say, the God of the event. We're all believers in this religion, whether we know it or not. This is what makes anything worth its salt. The event is what makes religion worth its salt, but it's what makes anything worth its salt. This means that in order for the event to be real, it has to be incarnated in some tangible way in our world. It has to be given form in music, in, in a painting, in a film, in a church, in a temple, in a mosque, in some religious tradition. If the event is not incarnated in some way, if it remains entirely just in the abstract, then it's not something we can actually celebrate and experience. So this, this is why we need art. This is why we need religion. We need these things to experience the event. What happens in religious fundamentalism is that you mistake the structure for the event itself, right? You claim that it's your scriptures, it's your religion, it's your church, it's your set of traditions and beliefs that actually are ultimate truth. When in reality, this is all a linguistics of the event. This, this is like, a, a religious fundamentalist is like, imagine a, a jazz music, musician saying jazz is the only legitimate form of music in art. All other kinds of music, bastardization of this one pure form. We, need to, we should therefore get rid of all other music and all other forms of art because jazz is ultimate truth. Is ulti, is, it's the only art. No, who would say something like that? It's, it's all a linguistics of the event. It's all a different way of paying homage to the same thing. A search for the sacred, the depth dimension of the human experience. So I, I hope what I'm saying today, it's kind of abstract and philosophical, right? But I, I hope it's heard as an affirmation of religion in its various forms. I intend this to be more of an affirmation of religion than a critique or a deconstruction of it. It's an affirmation, I believe, of the presence of God in our lives. It's an affirmation of the presence of the sacred, the divine, the transcendent, the event, whatever you want to call it. Find a vocabulary word that works for you. It's an affirmation of that and the various ways that it is incarnated into our lives. That's, that's religion to me. Let's pray. Loving God of our many understandings, help us to uh, find the courage to be to have open minds and open hearts for the various ways you are revealed in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Each episode of The Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion.
Uh, so just to, to back up in case anybody didn't hear me, my, I'm pushing back a little bit in the sense that I think your affirmation of religion affirms a version of, quote, religion that I think uh, omits a large majority of the people who would define themselves as religious. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is I think a lot of the people who would define themselves as religious are not so much in a search for the sacred as a search for being right and a search for rectitude. And I think that's a very different search. And it may give them meaning to be right all the time or to believe that they think the right things, they're on the right side, they have the right views about all sorts of social and moral issues. And that may be meaningful, but I don't think that's a search for the sacred. And I don't think most people who view themselves as religious would agree that sunrises and sunsets and beautiful music, that's true religion. I think they would, they would find that as heresy. I obviously agree with you, but I think it's, it's hard to then say, well, we should affirm religion in all of its aspects, because I think a large majority of the people who are religious, it, it's actually a destructive pathology. Yeah, and thank you. Uh, that's a great point. Corey, you have your hand up. Did you want to respond to Colin? Yeah. Okay, if you want to respond to Colin, uh, please do so, because I would like to as well, but you go yeah. first. So I, uh, I hear what you're saying, and I think outside of like the evangelical structure, I think you're absolutely right. I think for me, my experience within an evangelical community is that actually religious people were wrong, and we were right. Um, that we weren't religious. You know, you mentioned, oh, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I think for most of... Uh, it's hard because I know that within other religious structures, that thing you're talking about is really common, but um, uh, like my view of religion was like, oh no, that's the bad thing to talk about. And I think what's changed for me is um, like a pride in like, yeah, I am part of this ancient tradition um, of you know, both capital R religion and lowercase r religion, both the Christian religion of like, oh wow, this is like an ancient thing that I, and participating in, and then the more comparative religion idea of like we're all seeking some kind of uh, spiritual meaning, etc. Um, but I guess that's maybe two different things. I think I don't hear the like overtly religious conversation within evangelical communities because they just think that like any they, they're so focused on the relationship relationship aspect of it that there's no, there's not even a, a healthy critique of what is good and bad about religion. It's, it's just, uh, it's kind of superficial. Was what yeah, was, yeah. Yeah. And so, Colin's absolutely right that yes. a lot of people would hear what I had to say. Religious folks who would even define themselves as religious folks, they, they would say, no, that's not what I'm doing at all. I'm right. I have, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, you know, searching for the sacred. I'm not trying to explore the depth dimension of the human condition. I simply know the truth because I have the Bible, and that's all there is to it. It's, it's about, you know, you're supposed to live this way. You know, gay people are going to hell. You're supposed to vote Republican. <laughs> you know, th there's all of these rules that we follow, right, and that, and, or beliefs we have to hold on to. I'm not trying to explore the depth dimension of the human condition. I just know what the truth is, and it's Jesus, and it's this way of living. You're absolutely right. That's what they would say. Um, and you're absolutely right to say there's certain things about that we should not affirm, that there's religious beliefs out there, both Christian and outside of Christianity, that are violent, that are bigoted, that are racist, that are homophobic, that are sexist. Those things should not be affirmed, right? However, I, I would, you can disagree with me here. You, you 
You probably already do. <laughs> but I, I would venture to say that even when I was a fundamentalist, and I was one of those people, that, that unconsciously, I believe, my religion still functioned as an attempt to get close to that which I ultimately could not describe, this experience of God. I was, I was somebody, I was raised Pentecostal, and so if you know anything about Pentecostals, they're all about the Holy Spirit. They're all about experiencing God emotionally. They're all about experiencing the Spirit and getting into these kind of altered states of consciousness through speaking in tongues or you know, having, having a moment in a worship service where you kind of, you go somewhere else. I mean, you are in the presence of the Lord. You really, but it comes with a profound sense of peace and something indescribable. And even then in my fundamentalism, I was trying to curate this indescribable experience of God in my life. It was all about, you know, that mountaintop experience and staying there, right? So even as a conservative, I, I think unconsciously, I was trying, religion for me and the way it actually worked out in my life was an, was an attempt to curate the sacred and the presence of God in my life. And I didn't really, even then I would, I would say, I don't really know what all of this is, but I, I want it, I need it. Does, does that make sense? So I would say even for a conservative you know, a, a fundamentalist uh, believer that they might not articulate it like that, but I think unconsciously they are looking for the sacred. I, I would argue unconsciously they are kind of, we're all searching for the same thing. We want that sense of being connected to something much bigger than ourselves. Even conservative progressive, I think we're all looking for that sense of, you know, connection to something beyond. Um, we're, we're looking for that, and I, I call that the search for the sacred. That's what I call it. You might call it something else. Uh, somebody want to respond to this? Add on to it. Yes, sir. What is your name again? Sorry. My name is Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Um, so I may be a little, maybe I don't completely understand you, but if I, what I am sort of taking away is that it doesn't matter quite what your doctrine is. We are, as a, as a species, kind of in pursuit of the same end. And so my question for you would be, why, what, what is the value to you in concluding with Christianity or with Christ? Yeah. Like, how do, you, how do you come to that, yeah. that place? I'm glad you asked that question. That's, that's a great question. Um, you know, there's a few different ways I can answer that. The, the first way I have to acknowledge, I was born into this faith. I inherited this, much like I would inherit, you know, you know money from my parents one day when they die. I inherited this. I, was, I didn't have a choice. I was born into it. Now, I reached a point in my life, maybe 15 years ago, where I had to make a choice. Do I want to continue down this road? Do I want to continue with this, this story, this tradition, this faith? And I answered that question, yes. So it became mine. I adopted it. Um, but to be honest, you know, if I was raised in Bangladesh or if I was born and raised in India or another part of the world, I would, I would have been, I'd be a Buddhist. I'd be a Muslim. I mean, I'm just being honest. And I, th I think many of you can agree with that, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, and for me, Christianity, I don't want to get too much on a tangent here, but I find through my process of deconstruction and reconstruction, a lot of, a lot of uh, meaning for me in the Christian story. I find the, the story of Jesus, Jesus' crucifixion in particular, to be really meaningful for me. Um, and you've heard me preach on that so many times. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is I've, I, I find a lot of, unique meaning in Christianity. I, I am a big believer in uh, the uniqueness of Christianity and, and its unique message, but I also realize that, you know, Muslims going to feel the same way about their faith, and I respect that. Um, so I, I guess, I, I, you know what I compare it to? I compare it to this. 
Um, my last name's Van Voris. There's great things about being in Van Voris. There's a farm out in western New York State that's been in our family since the 1850s. We've got traditions, family dinners at the cabin every time we go out there. There's a creek that we fish on. There's family, great family traditions about being a Van Voris. What is your last name? Hostler. Well, so just because I, I believe there's great things about being a Van Voris, and I can point to a lot of awesome things that I deeply identify with and love, it would never abandon for a million years. I can acknowledge that and also hold that you feel the same way about being a Hostler, whatever your last name was, sorry. Um, you can hold both of these things simultaneously without denigrating the other. Does that make sense? You, you can say this is really meaningful and powerful and unique, and let me tell you about why. Well, not saying there's anything un, you know, unworthy or demeaning about what you're doing. Does that make sense? So f for me, that's how my Christianity works for me now in a, in a really quick two-minute answer. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Somebody else. And Anthony, you're pointing to somebody? Did, did you? Okay, cool. He's <laughs> like, no, not me. Uh, anybody else? A question, a comment, something to add on? All right. Well, um, over the next, what, what is today, the 8th? Over the next three Sundays, we're going to do a little comparative religion study. This is kind of the beginning of a very short series uh, leading up to um, Holy Week, Palm Sunday and Easter. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we did this. Uh, but this is going to be more of a comparative religion study where we're going to look at how these religions are unique in their own right, but how they might actually inform or overlap with some of our, you know, our own religion. You know? um, so over the next three weeks, we're going to look at Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam here at Central. And uh, hope you come on back for that. And just to uh, remind you real quick of a couple of things going on next month, April 5th, Palm Sunday, uh, Amber Cantorna will be here. Um, many of you might know who she is. She is uh, the daughter of a Focus on the Family executive who came out and was ostracized from her family. Um, she's a married gay woman, and she's got a compelling story and always a good message for everybody, gay or straight. I hope you can be here uh, to hear her on, on April 5th. And then also remember Pete Rollins, our old friend Pete, is going to be here April 19th and 26th presenting on Sunday morning. So hope you can make it back for that. But thanks for being here today. Uh, happy International Women's Day, and please go in peace.